Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Open up your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Hope that you're continuing to read your Bible and reading the book of Ephesians, if at the very least reading this passage. It is truly a powerful passage about God's grace, and even these little hymns that I've been giving to you guys on Sunday, I pray that you will consider singing them with your family, young adults singing them in your life groups, because they teach us the theology of the Bible. When we look to Ephesians chapter 10, or chapter 10, verses 1 through 10 rather, we get the idea of the bad news and the good news. Let's start with the bad news and let's work our way to the good news. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Somebody say all of us. Thank you. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying our flesh and following the, its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath. Now, I hope you understand what I do during this sermon series. I read a passage, and then I explain it, and then I preach on it in depth. I hope you don't take that for granted, because that is not oftentimes, sadly, what you'll hear in churches. Now, I'm not trying to get myself give myself a pat on the back, but I was just having a couple over the other day, and they said, Pastor, we've heard a lot of preachers. You're our favorite teacher. And I hear this quite often, and I encourage other pastors with this, too, because I teach pastors in Bible college. It's that what people are really complimenting about me is that I'm really just reading the Bible and explaining it to them. Just that's all I'm doing. There's really no tricks up my sleeve because that is our job as pastors. It is not my job to just emotionally motivate you, just to tell you stories that give you some kind of a pep in your step, like some kind of a motivation. I believe if I do this, you will be motivated. I do believe that the Word of God will uh, turn your frown upside down, as it were. But here's the deal. You need to understand this. You have to be able to go home today and know what Ephesians means. So let's just look at these three verses as I do what I've been doing by God's grace. Explain it and I'll do my best to explain it today. It says we were dead in our transgressions and sins. That means we were born dead and separated from God. When Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil they died spiritually instantly and then their body began to die. From that point forward we all inherited from then a sinful nature. But Jesus came as what they called the second Adam to fix what they had broken, and then by taking the wrath of God on the cross, we can now become born again a spiritual life. That's what Paul is talking about here. But here's where you have to look at this passage and ask yourself the question, do you really understand it? So I'm going to give you an A or a B. Am I a sinner because I sin, A, or am I a sinner because I was born one, B? Which one is it, A or B? It's B, according to the Bible. So this is the thing that most people miss. You are born dead and separated from God. The first Adam brought condemnation and judgment to the whole human race. That is why all of us have to be taught not to lie. We don't need to be taught to lie. And I always give that example with my children. Is there anybody in the back in the nursery teaching my children to lie? Because I didn't, I didn't teach them to lie, but they they know how to lie. They know how to be rebellious. Who taught them that? That is what Paul is saying in verse 1. We're born in the default position of sin. Now watch verse 2 says, we live this way with the devil. So not only were we born sinners, but there is a tempter. There is a lowercase g, God of the age, a ruler of the kingdom of the air. And remember how the Bible describes air. Heaven is up here. Air is here earth is down here. That's the way the picture of the, the, the ancient ones would, would view the, the history or, or view the, um, the, the molecular structure of the universe, as it were. They would see heaven is a spiritual place, earth is a natural place, uh, heaven is where God is, earth is where we are, and then the air is where the spirits are, the demonic spirits. Now, notice he's called the ruler of the air, and he's at work in those who are disobedient. Now, this doesn't mean we were demon-possessed by the devil. It just means that we... 
would breathe him in 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 his influence everywhere we went. So whether it's uh, Bollywood in India shaking it up and doing rebellious things against God or Lil Wayne or Oprah Winfrey or Celine Dion or people that you see on TV of various cultures, we were all breathing in the air of the devil being influenced by him and his demonic forces. And that is what uh, was leading us to destruction. So we had an inner um, uh, inner destruction from the point of death when we sin from the, from the Garden of Eden and the devil's leading us to death uh, to steal, kill, and destroy. He's leading us to eternal destruction. And then verse 3 says, and you are led along by your flesh and its cravings. And last week we talked about, are you a he, she, or an it? Say which one you are. You're a she or a he, but your flesh is a it. So you are no more your stomach than you are your brain, than you are your left eye, okay? And so the idea is here, you're not supposed to be led along by your brain and five senses. You're supposed to be led along by the Spirit of God. But what is the connection between the Spirit of God and your body? That is your soul. So think of it like this. Your body is your brain, five senses. It's the physical shell that your spiritual soul lives in. What is your soul? It's your mind, will, and emotion. And what is your spirit? It's that which connects you to God. Bring it back to verse 1. Spiritual soul got disconnected from God. We experienced spiritual death. And then physically, we had sinful desires and the devil's pushing us down his river towards destruction. And then by nature, because of all of those things, we listen to the devil. We're separated from God and we're choosing our own sinful ways by our flesh. We are by nature objects of God's wrath. We deserve the wrath of God. Look at your neighbor and say, you are naughty by nature. Now, I want everybody to think about an A or a B again. Everybody think about this. A, A, are you going, let me back up, does a sinner go to hell because of the sins they committed, or does the sinner go to hell because of the nature they've inherited? Ooh, so you think it's a both, but it's still an A or a B. The Bible says, now this is where you have to go deep. Everybody say, go deep. In Adam, all were condemned. So watch this. He's what we call the federal head. He represented all of us. So when Adam and Eve sinned, it was literally God's option at that point to delete the whole human history. When God created Adam and Eve, he does nothing without knowing the end from the beginning. So he knew all of the children and the grandchildren all the way down to our time who would come from Adam. So when Adam sinned, we were literally damned with Adam in his genealogy, in his lineage, literally by his DNA. And so what that means is you could have come to be a conscious soul in hell and would have been there rightfully because Adam. Adam deserved it, and if God would have said, Adam, delete, next one, you know, Cain, delete, and gone through every single one till he got to you, you then would have sinned just like Adam, so he saved the whole time of going through the whole human race and said, you'll represent them all, and we could have been born damned in hell. So by nature, we were deserving of wrath. Now, why is this important? Because when we get to the good part today in these next few verses, it operates the same way. Your thinking about this is going to see how it works for salvation now. Because if you think you uh, sinned and then God said, oh, you sinned? Now you're a sinner and I'm going to send you to hell. You're going to get salvation backwards because you're going to think you have to do good to become a saint to go to heaven. But if you under Understand, sinners sin. By nature, you're a sinner, and that's why you sin. Then you'll understand when you're born again as a saint, that's why you'll live holy. Let me give you another A or a B. Do you become a Christian, A, by doing a whole bunch of good things, and then, boop, one day you become one, or B, does God change your nature to a Christian, and then you do a whole bunch of good things? It's obvious, but which one is it, A or B? Do you understand these verses? This is my job as a pastor to help you understand it. 
It's technical, I understand, but it's not complicated. Think of it like this. We're born sinners because of Adam and Eve deserving hell. There's nothing that we can do to stop that judgment from coming. It's like we're born with AIDS, all of us. So if I give you a transfusion, you still get AIDS and I still have it. I give it from one left arm to the right arm. I'm giving AIDS to myself. None of us can cure ourselves of this. And then from AIDS, having it in our blood, we have all of these sicknesses. And then on top of that, we can put the analogy here to the devil. He's a mean doctor that keeps feeding us more poison because he wants to see us die and suffer even more. But Jesus comes to heal us of the AIDS, take away our sickness, put the devil under his feet, and then give us authority to live a new healthy life. The idea is that nature determines behavior. We're born naughty by nature. We do naughty things. We get born again into the divine nature. We'll do holy things. Can I hear an amen? Gets me excited. It's going to get good, okay? So now watch this. Whenever you see the word grace, I want you to read it with me. And then today's verses will be 8 and 9. Join with me as well. But uh, let's go to verse 4. But because, of his great, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, is God broke on mercy? No, he is what in mercy? Rich in mercy. He has all that we'll ever need. Verse 5, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. So did Jesus pay the price for my sins after I confess them or before I confess them? Before Jesus took this for us on the cross, and because he's so awesome, watch what the Bible says. He's the lamb slain now before the foundation of the world. So when Jesus was on the cross, not only did he split time for us AD, uh, B.C. and A.D., but he also brought all of human history to that point on the cross. So when I get saved today, Jesus is not dying again. I'm getting saved because of what he said was finished 2,000 years ago. And Abraham and all the ancestors of faith who were looking towards the future received it at the moment Jesus did it, and it became retroactive to their account, okay? So Jesus, uh, uh, we were made alive with Jesus, rather, while the Father raised us up with him when we were dead in transgressions, it is by, come on, say it like you mean it. It is by grace you have been saved. Thank you. And God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, which shows us that our spirit is a porthole for the heavenly realms. Your body is controlled by your spiritual soul, but the Holy Spirit wants a place of contact with your body to make your body his temple. So your spiritual soul becomes a porthole for heaven to come through you, come in you, and through you to the world around you. So when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, where's the first earth that God wants to flow that kingdom through? It's through this body, and he comes by the Holy Spirit into your spirit, and so right now you are in union with God. I'm not trying to freak you out. I'm just telling you what God said. He said right now, not that he's going to do this. I'm waiting to go to heaven, yes, one day when I lose this body. But right now, I am raised up with Christ, seated with him in heavenly realms. And this is where I say that heavenly realms aren't necessarily where heaven, like we know the throne is at and the angels are at. Heavenly realms is like what you would say are the, um, the ray bands. When a hurricane comes, it has all of these bands of, uh, of rain that will come before it and after it. Heaven comes from, uh, heavenly realms comes from heaven by the Holy Spirit and we get the ray bands of his power. We get the beauty of his presence even in this uh, earth, this earth suit that we're in. But one day, watch this. Now watch, I'm going to do something a little unique with you right here so you can understand the difference between now and then being in heaven. But one day, my brain dies, my mind's with him permanently. My uh, my emotions remain with God, but my feelings die with my body, and my strength dies, but my will goes to heaven. Because watch this. There's a difference between your brain and your mind. There's a difference between your emotions and your feelings, your physical senses, and there's a difference between your will and your strength. Your body is a brain with senses, and it has uh, feelings, but your soul has a mind, will, and emotions. 
So where are the heavenly realms? Or with my mind, will, and emotions in an earthen jar of clay, but one day that earthen jar of clay will be removed, and my mind, will, and emotions will be face-to-face with him, and I will see him as, I, uh, as he sees me. Amen? That's so deep in heavenly realms. Just think about that this week. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Thank you, expressing his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So what's going on? Right now I'm saved. Heavenly realms are the inside inside of me. One day we die, we're disembodied, we're in heaven for a short time period, but we come back to rule and reign with Christ upon this earth with a glorified body. That's why Jesus raised from the dead, and then we're trophies of his grace. How many trophies of grace do I have here today? And let's read verses 8 and 9 together, por favor. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And I'll read verse 10. Thank you. For we are God's handiwork or masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Since that's the message, I don't need to explain it before I preach it. I'll just get to preaching it. Somebody say, preach it. Here are your two options as a Christian, how you can believe things when it comes to being saved. You can believe in works-based salvation, something you will take credit for, or you will believe in grace-based salvation. Now, somebody may say, technically, can I be a Christian and believe in works-based salvation? No, but God is gracious to us because many of us became Christians and were falsely taught things from the Bible because it wasn't verse by verse. It wasn't explained to us. And so we had wrong ideas. And by the way, all of us may have wrong ideas that God will train and, and disciple us over time to learn to do better. But here's a major problem, and it's a big difference between works-based and grace-based. Have you ever heard of Mike 316? I'm going to tell you what Mike 3.16 says. How many have heard of John 3.16? Now, those of you who are new, I'm not adding a new Bible, book of the Bible, but I'm trying to be a little funny here because you might meet a guy like Mike when you start talking about the Bible, about what it means to truly be saved, fully saved, completely saved, made a new creation. Mike might say something like this to you or maybe to make it feminine, Michelle. Mike 3.16 Little by little, God is saving me because when I do my part, he does his. When I do better, I become better. Now, I know many of you have seen my little chart here before because I've gotten it from Ephesians, but is that what the Bible says? Does the Bible say you do your part, God will do his part? You get a little bit better, and then God will make you a little bit better. Is that how it works? So, so when I come to church, I'm like zero saved, zero percent saved, right? But then I pray a little bit. I read my Bible. I kiss my cross. Boop, 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 boop. Ten percent saved. Yeah, is that how it works? Come on. But that's how people think, isn't it? Well, God's still working on me, Pastor. You know. But here's the thing. They use the wrong language to describe what, what's going on in their life. Do I believe that we spiritually grow up? Yes. But to grow up, you first have to be born. My son Lucas first had to come from the womb to be born to then grow up to do the things that, that my son or a young man should do. We don't ask him to do these things first to be born. What comes first, Lucas doing good things or Lucas being born? When it comes to you being a Christian, what comes first? You working on yourself till you get to 100% or you get born at 100% and you do good works? See, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, we read it, for it is by grace you have been saved. It's done. Download, boom, through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. See, the people on the other side, they want to take credit for it. Because what really separates the one that's 10% to the one that's 20%? It's not God. In this analogy, it's the person. Dude, you still at 10? Man, you better buck up some more. Man, you better pray some more. You better come to church some more. See, I'm at 20%, man. You still at 10. And then all of a sudden, uh, I am at 80%. I have been serving God for many years. Only 20% of my heart belongs to the devil but I am much more a Christian than all of you. Oh, please, please, wise one, teach us your ways. Teach us your ways. 
See, doesn't that boast up the pride of man? See, man, I'm more saved than you. I've done more than you. I've done more better things than you. Is that how the Bible describes salvation? No, it's not a works-based salvation. It's not something you ever take credit for. I've been serving God 22 years. I don't take credit for the first day to this day. No credit. No credit. What is the thing I had to do? Have faith and believe. That was it. It's a gift. I had to choose to receive it. If I force something upon you, is it a gift? If I'm like, take it. Is that a gift? No, you don't give gifts like that. That's what you call like slavery. That's what you call abuse, right? So God is not our slave master. God doesn't say, here's salvation. Take it. He doesn't come inside of us and make us a puppet and say, Jesus is Lord. He doesn't do it like that. He asks us to come to him, to believe and trust in him, and receive that gift. The choice is yours. Let's look at another way of saying it. This is from Second Flesh 2.11. Now, I don't know, but somebody may have Second Flesh 2.11 on their mind right now. You might have heard your friend say it because it's a popular way of thinking about salvation. God's still working on me, man. And one day, I'll be who he wants me to be. And I want everybody to say, because nobody's perfect together. One, two, three. Because nobody is perfect. Now, that may be a little bit more tricky for us, right? Because nobody is perfect without Christ. Because we look through the teachings of Christ, what does he say? Be perfect, Matthew 5, 48. Be perfect for your heavenly Father is perfect. Was he telling us a command we couldn't keep? Think about it like this. If Jesus said to, to you like this, I want you to flap your little arms, fly up 10,000 feet up in the air, and then go 600 miles an hour. If you don't, you're not getting into heaven. Would that be fair for Jesus to ask us to do something like that? Could I, could I get up 10,000 feet if I did this? No, if I did it really fast, I cannot get up 10,000 feet, let alone at 10,000 feet to break the sound barrier, getting close to like 1,000 miles an hour, 600 miles an hour. I couldn't even go 20 miles an hour up there with this, right? Listen to me, my friends. You can no more flap your wings, fly like an airplane, than you can save yourself. You can never save yourself. But guess what? If I bought you a ticket, and I said, here's on a plane, here's a, a ticket for a plane that's going to go 30,000 feet, 600 miles an hour. All you have to do to accomplish that task to go 30,000 feet, fly 600 miles an hour, is to what? Receive the ticket. See, that's what salvation is. God knows you can't live a life by obedience to work your way to salvation. He knows you can't do it. As a matter of fact, he says, it's impossible for you to save yourself. He said, but with God, it is possible. Look at what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're still jacked up because they're not perfect and God's just going to help download some stuff throughout their life. Is that what it says? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has what? Has come. The old has gone. The new is where? Point to where the new is. It's right here. It's right in our lives. The salvation that the Bible talks about is a complete salvation. It's not a progressive salvation. It's not you and Jesus working on your life. When you think that way, you're actually thinking in a way that sets you back and actually grieves the heart of God. When Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't dying for good people. Jesus was dying for sinners who by their nature were deserving of wrath and were separated from him. That's why when he said it is finished, he really meant it. Think about it like this. If you really wanted to win a race, it was worth a million dollars, the prize if you won it. Would you want to try to run the entire race and try to beat everybody? Or would you rather start the race at the finish line? Hello, would you want to start? I'm not talking about cheating. I'm just saying if you had the choice. Started at the finish line. Salvation with Jesus is starting at the finish line. You start where you want to finish. You start complete in Christ. You start born again. What they're trying to get, praying towards Mecca five times a day, I got day one. What they're trying to get by going to Father Tom, I got day one. You get it day one. Now here's the idea. Do I grow in my spirituality? Yes. Once again, what must Lucas do first? Be born or do good works? What does Lucas do first? So what does the Christian do first? Good works or get born again? So now you understand why it's important to understand nature. 
We're born first naughty by nature, but born again into the divine nature. I want you to look at this chart. It's review for some of you, but it's a good one to go over for today. What does works-based salvation look like when you put it towards complete salvation? When you are works-based, when you're thinking you're doing this thing, you're focusing on your self-effort. You're focusing on what you're getting in, what you're putting in is what you're going to get out. And that's why you fail at it all the time. You become your worst enemy. But those who believe God saved them, past tense, at the cross, and when they believed it, they received it, they focus on Jesus' work. They see Jesus as the Savior, not themselves. Number two, the person who doesn't see the gospel as the way it is thinks the gospel is maybe like some self-help message. And the gospel is this, Jesus died so you could live, put your faith in him and live a new life. They think that's the same as what Oprah Winfrey teaches in her life classes. So the gospel some real little thing that really is not that significant. But the person who knows that they're saved, saved, the gospel is everything. If it wasn't for Jesus, I know I wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for Jesus, there would be no good in me. Number three, the one who's looking at the works that they can do to try to save themselves, you know what it's really a mask for? And I want you to be honest with yourself if you fall into this category. It's really because you like sin. Because that's your excuse, isn't it? Nobody's perfect. No one really can live this out. Jesus died because he knew we were messed up. And guess what? Now we get to get out of jail free card so I can just live however I want because Jesus loves me. And the problem is you're deceived by sin. Dr. John Piper said it like this. Sin is what you do when you're not satisfied in God. I want every husband to look up at me, please. Affairs are what you do when you're not satisfied with your wife. I want every teenager, young person to look up at me. Rebellion and disobedience towards your parents is what you do when you're ungrateful towards what they've done for you. Everything in your life is going in a direction towards or away from God. The one who loves God loves his righteous ways. They're not looking at the Ten Commandments going, man, I really wish I could covet today because that feels so good. I just really wish I could steal more for my job. The Christian has been changed in nature. So as normal as it was for them before to try to find workarounds and to, in their naughty nature to lust with their eyes is how natural now it's coming to them to desire the pure things of of God. I don't know if you can relate to this, but I had to lose about 80 pounds two years ago. And the first 60 days was the hardest things, uh, hardest time because I had to change my desires. Everything at that time was lots of pizza and, and uh, McDonald's and all of those things. I hardly ate any vegetables or fruit. But over time, I had to switch my diet. And now naturally, when I'm hungry, I will crave an apple. I will crave those kinds of things. The Christian craves the righteousness of God. For a Christian to really sin... For them, it's like stepping into the, into the mud, into a pigsty. We may as Christians sin. You're absolutely right. I have sinned since I've been a Christian. You caught me. There it is. But there's a difference between acting perfect and being perfect. My son is my perfect son. He's my perfect son. He's DNA, my son. You can't become any more than 100% my son than Lucas is. Are you listening? If they did a DNA test with my son, Mari Povich would say, Joe, you are the father. Am I 50%? his father? No. Am I 60? No. You are 100% his father. Is he 60% my son? No, he's 100% my son. Now listen, when he sins, he don't drop down to 90% my son. And so the idea as a Christian, I am perfect to live perfect. I am made holy to be holy. I am made righteous to do righteous things. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. There is no sin or temptation that comes upon us that he will not make a way of escape. So if I do sin, I'm with you. I can sin as a Christian. For me, it's not what I want to keep doing. It's what I repent of so I can go back to doing holy things. Amen? Does anybody relate to that? Okay, thank you. The next thing that we see is that they justify their sin by comparison. So what's the idea now? It's like, Pastor, well, you know, I'm probably not as good as you at Christianity. I got that. But you haven't met my cousin. You haven't met Cousin Flacco. Like, I am awesome compared to Cousin Flacco. Or, you know, like, sister, so my sister, this one. Like, you don't know how crazy we can be. Like, I'm doing good. But here's the thing. You're not comparing yourself with the right person. You think you're good with 10%, 20%. But the Bible says you either have to have the righteousness of Jesus, which is without sin, total perfection, or you can never get in. 
So can you work your way to heaven? No, you can no more work your way to heaven than you can flap wings and fly like a 747. But yet people will try and compare themselves. I'm so much better than Hitler. My friends, compared to Jesus, all of us are like Hitler's. Sin is the opposite of God, and we've all done it. But those who really love God, they live holy by his grace. They repent of their sin. And then you know what, number six? Those who are working their way towards salvation, if you notice this, everybody look up at me, please. You normally don't hear them speak the word. Because I got about 12 verses I'm going to break on you in just a moment. Everybody say, this is just the introduction. This is review. You guys know this. You guys have already seen this stuff before, many of you. But I got about 12 more uh, scriptures I got to preach to you, but but track with me here, okay? Watch this. When I talk to people like this, they don't ever put word on it. They just want to say, you know, well, this is what my pastor told me, or this is what I was raised. They can never show you in the scripture because everything in the scripture they're saying is actually contradicted. It's literally contradicted. The Bible teaches us who we are. The Bible says this is the standard. So think about it like this. Sin will keep you from the word, and the word will keep you from sin. So what you doing? Are you loving your sin, or are you loving the word of God? The word of God convicts us. It's like a mirror that when you look at yourself in the morning, you're like, oh, I got to take care of this, stuff in my eye, I got some acne, oh man, my hair's out of place. The Word of God shows the Christian when they're not lining up to the character of God. As I've said before, Jesus is like the stamp that we're all getting molded to, like gingerbread cookies. Jesus is the thing that we're getting molded to and all the access is being pushed away. But how do you learn who Jesus is? By His Word. So abide in His Word and He says He'll abide in you. Number seven, they always talk about how powerless they are towards sin and temptation. You'll hear it all the time in the media. I was born this way. This is how my culture is. This is the way we were raised. This is what my generation's like, Pastor. We don't get married. We live together first. But you see, all of those excuses that they make doesn't show us the power of Jesus. As a matter of fact, they make their sin look greater than our Jesus. But our Jesus conquered sin. Those who know the truth, the truth shall set them free. They understand that sin is defeated. Temptation is not a problem anymore. Because when we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Our Father is there to do it. How many good fathers do I have here today? Can I get a woo woo? If your children said, help me out of a harmful situation, how fast are you going into that thing? My, my wife just got these two little heaters uh, for, their, uh, to, for our children's bedrooms, and they're the plastic kind. They're not like the old school, but we're still concerned like it's going to catch something on fire, you know. And I just told my wife, you know, we won't leave it on overnight. We'll just keep it on during the day so the, the heat can go into the room. But I told my wife, I said, even if there was a fire, these are, our two, these are my two options. I am going in no matter what, but here are my two options. I die with my child in the fire or they're coming out with me. How many fathers are like that today? You would rather die in the fire than to run away from that fire. Your child's in there. Jesus came from heaven to earth to take our punishment. Do you understand the love of God? Now, how in the world can you look at that cross and tell me it's okay for you to keep sinning and tell me how powerless God is over your sin? Well, I was born this way, Pastor. Well, get born again. Well, Pastor, this is natural to me. Well, get supernatural power on the inside of you. This is the life we live. Amen? They give the devil too much credit. Oh, the devil's working on me, man. The devil does this. The devil does that. The Bible says the devil has been defeated and his works have been destroyed. Do you believe that? There is no arm wrestling match like you see in these memes, like Jesus and the devil. The devil was a serpent squashed under the feet of the resurrected Lord. They lack faith, but they're religious. Because if they're talking salvation at all, they at least got the lingo down, right? They may not be in the word, but they're religious. They'll tell you, man, I pray before I go to bed, Pastor. I make sure I get it right. You know, I know God loves me. I don't need anybody telling me that I don't have a relationship with God. But then you ask him, do you live in continual sin? Do you continue to make excuses for your behavior? Do you follow the purpose of God or you just kind of take the wheel when you want? They say, well, you know, God understands. God will judge me. God understands. And I say it like this. That should scare you, that God's going to judge you. Could you imagine me saying to my wife, honey, I love you so much. I'm going to be the best husband for you six days a week. But one day a week, 
I'm going to be over here and do this. Now imagine six days a week, you see my Facebook. I'm blowing it up with the roses that I give her, me giving her foot rubs. See, this is what religion looks like. It's like, oh, I got my wife. I really love my wife, but I'm cheating on her one day a week. So am I really in love with my wife? No, because she can look at me and demand more. If you love me, drop that person and give your whole heart to me. And so we come to church. We look all religious. Look at me. Hashtag. Look at me. Tag. Look at this. I'm in church. And God is saying, I know you're religious, but I want to know, are you in a relationship with me? Do I have your heart? And so to, to the person who's saved, they live by faith and say, it's not about religion. That's why I come in shorts. Now, you can come dressed up. I got a wedding to do right after this. I'm going to get into a nice suit. Praise God. I like to get dressed up too. But here's the deal. I haven't looked at pornography since 96. And my pastor friend called me up the other day. I was driving home, and he said, man, I'm in a men's meeting right now. I need you to tell them your testimony. And it's almost like I wanted to say, well, why don't you tell them your testimony? But you see, they knew what pastor to call up when they wanted somebody to tell the testimony. Let me ask you a question. Does it matter if I wear a three-piece suit or shorts? What matters is my heart. Do I live holy? Am I a righteous man or woman of God? See, religion does not make me a great pastor. So do not fall for the lies of religion, even with your own self. Don't just scratch your religious itch here once a week for a few hours. Get in a real relationship with God and watch it change your life. Amen? Number 10, they find others to agree with them. And you know that's happening in somebody's mind right now. Well, this sounds crazy. I'm going to go back to this pastor. i got a cousin who's a pastor. I'm going to ask him this. Man, do I have to live perfect? Man, does God really save me like that? Or am I on a progress bar? Oh, no, you're right. God's still working on you. You're, you do a little bit better. God does a little bit more. See, oh, I feel so much better now. No, ask him to show you in the Word. Ask him to show you in the Word. I'm going to give you about 12 scriptures after this because this is just the what? The intro. I'm just building you up for the verses. I'm giving you the Holy Ghost sandwich, word at the beginning, some points here in the middle, and the word at the end. But here's the deal. If you're a Christian, you love correction. You love accountability. You'll go to the marriage life group when your marriage is struggling, and you'll confess to other men and women, I need help here. Pray for me. You'll do one-on-one -on -one discipleship because you know you ain't got nothing to hide. Why should I hide anything from you if God already knows it? Why should I make excuses and run away from church when I can't run away from God? Those who truly know they're saved can confess their sins. You can literally ask me at any given time, Joe, when was the last time you sinned and what did you do about it? I have no problem telling you. I was sharing a room with one pastor at, at a conference, and I said, when was the last time you looked at porn? He said, that's none of your business. I said, oh, it was that recent? Probably in the hotel room before I got here. Just because someone's religious doesn't mean they're really living for God. And just because you come to church doesn't mean you like correction and accountability. We prayed for three people dealing with cancer in our church in the first service. And because of your generous offerings, we're breaking down a, a G into each one of their lives, $333.33. Amen. That will round it up. I'm kidding. But uh, when we're praying for them with cancer and we're sowing good seed, and I love that we can do that. Instead of taking up 10 offerings, we just go right to the bank account and go paid for. Amen. I'm glad that we can do that with Puerto Rico and all that because you're a generous church. So now, watch this. They're all dealing with cancer right now. Now, a doctor could come to them and say, you know what? I don't want you to have to go through chemo, all the therapy, the bad news. I'm just going to tell you, it's gone. It's not even there. You're good. Is that actually the truth? No, because if they don't get the therapy, God can heal them. But I'm talking about if they don't get the therapy, they don't get the help without God healing them, they're going to die. That doctor's not their friend. So the one who actually corrects you in love is your friend. The one who keeps you accountability, uh, accountable is your friend. I could be a tap dancing preacher and not your friend just taking your money. I want you to live for God. This church wants you to live for God. Can I hear an amen? I know we're not the only ones, but I'm just trying to help set the record straight because I'm tired of hypocrites from the pulpit to the pew. They complain when they're weak. You see them on Facebook, pray for me, pray for me. And there's nothing wrong with asking God or asking people to pray for you. But I want to know, what are we praying for? Are we praying for you to stay busted and disgusted? Are we praying for you to stay on Barely Get Along Street and that's the Grumble Alley? Are we praying for you to keep making these same excuses? Or am I praying for you to know who you are in Christ, to stand up to the devil and profess the word of God? What is the prayer? What are we believing today? God or the world? The works are of grace. And lastly, everybody give me your attention, please. Number 12, cynical of others who live holy. Man, you see this, Pastor? 
Man, I know he's got stuff he ain't telling us. He's going to be like everybody else. Next thing you know, we're going to find pastor in Boys Town, renting a prostitute, snorting crystal meth, just like we have with them other pastors. But hold on, hold on, hold on. Even if you're cynical of me, does that change the word? Does it change the word? Be ye perfect for your heavenly father's perfect. Be holy for I am holy. Does that change the word? Does that change anything? If no one does it, does that change it? Okay, God's still true. Let every man be a liar. You ever heard of Noah? How many people made it that time? Noah, his wife, three sons, three wives, eight people. God said, that's enough. We'll start over because I'm not lowering my standard. So I'm going to tell you right now, this ain't a democracy with God. We're all not going to march down to heaven on judgment day. And this is what I believe the devil is so motivated by. Some people ask me, if the devil knows he's going to hell, why is he such an angry devil towards us? Because I believe that's what he wants to do. He wants to march us down with all the angels, with all the people, and come up to God and demand justice. See, God, look how hard it was. A third of the angels didn't even want to do it your way. All lost humanity here, the broad path, all those going to destruction didn't want to do it your way. So give us another chance now. And literally at that point, God would say, I would rather damn everything and all things to change my word because he cannot change his word. He's not a man that he should lie. So if God saves one person in eternity, he's still a good God because all of us by nature were deserving of wrath. So don't be cynical of me and make an excuse. It doesn't matter if you grew up in a religious household and everybody you loved and respected backslid. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But here's what I do hope. I do hope that all of us would find people who are really living this out. And that's why I always say, follow me as I follow Christ. Don't follow me without me following Christ. But come talk to my wife. Come talk to me. Talk to our elders and deacons. And yes, we sit them down. And yes, we don't always have the same people in leadership around here because we take holiness serious. But this needs to be your heart. Not cynicism, not criticism, not being cynical or critical. But you need to have a desire for you to live holy. God, if nobody else does it, I will. Can I hear an amen? Somebody say, bring the word. Okay, here we go. Now I want to go through these scriptures, and I want you to be honest with yourself. Which one is God teaching? Is God teaching a salvation by works, or is he teaching a salvation by grace? Starting in the Old Testament, Ezekiel the prophet said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. That's the promise that would happen when Jesus would come. I will remove from you your heart of flesh or your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep all my laws. How do I get moved to keep the laws of God? By the Holy Spirit. Think of the difference. You see a speed limit. It's 55 miles an hour. You don't care. You're going by it. You see the police officer. Now you care. Black and white, 613 laws of the Old Testament. They weren't doing good. That's like the speed limit sign. Guess what happened in the New Covenant? Holy Spirit moves in. He's with us everywhere we go, and he's guiding us and moving us. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, that's what we were talking about, the difference between wages and a gift. And yes, you do help and assist on your way to hell by working and continuing in sin. But remember, even if you never sinned once, your nature was deserving of wrath. But we are saved and given eternal life by the gift. When does eternal life start? It starts when you receive the gift. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Anybody have peace with God? Amen. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified is a theological term, which means just if I'd never sin, God makes me, uh, cleanses me righteous and calls me holy. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 11 and onward, he says, and that's what some of you were. You can look at verses 9 and 10. It says some of you were prostitutes. Some of you were homosexual. Some of you were selfish. Some of you were liars. Some of you were debaucherous and party animals and all of these things. That's what you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Come on, somebody say I was washed, say I was sanctified, and say I was justified. Thank you. What it means to be sanctified is your heart is clean. You can't get any more clean than how God makes you clean. 
2 Corinthians, a few verses down, uh, and another, uh, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 5.17, and then 2 Corinthians 5.21. Look at Paul's thought here. He's the author of Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone. You go down to verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. Are you naughty by nature or the righteousness of God by nature? Are you working towards righteousness? Well, pastor, I'll keep coming to church and be more righteous. No, you're righteous when Jesus calls you righteous and makes you righteous. We've already gone through the Ephesians text, right? For it is by grace you have been saved. I am saved. You're either saved or you're not saved. You're either heading to heaven or you're going to hell. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. The next verse that we heard today, once again, for we are God's workmanship, his handiwork, his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. So if I say I know him and I'm born of him, but I don't live for him, I'm a liar. But if I'm truly born of him, I'll do good things with him, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And I want everyone to get this, please. There'll never be a situation that you're in that God hasn't already been in and set up a path of success for you to keep his commands. Read the story of Joseph. They threw him in the pit. They sold him into slavery to Potiphar's house. He was brought to, uh, uh, into prison, and then he was put before Pharaoh. From the pit to Potiphar to prison to Pharaoh, my God was with him every step of the way, and he was successful and a holy man of God in his generation. He'll do the same for you and me, amen? One of my favorites in Ephesians, which we'll be getting to soon, Ephesians 4, through 24 says, you were taught. See, this is how Paul taught, line by line, verse by verse. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your mind. Do you understand? This is where it's all at. If in your mind you have stinking thinking, you think you're some progress bar, you think you're on some spiritual journey, you'll never know what salvation is. Believe and receive in your mind the new you through Jesus Christ and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. How were, I, how were we created in Christ Jesus? We were created new, truly righteous, and truly holy. I am born again. How many are born again here today? Look at Paul again here, Colossians 2, 9 through 10. How many are getting the hint today? Come on, how many are believing this today? You have to decide what you believe. This is what I put my faith in today. Now watch this. Here's the deal. It's gonna, you're going to see this word fullness. Somebody say fullness. Thank you. Watch this. For in Christ, all of the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. When Jesus was on the earth, how much of God was in him? 20%, 50%, 80%. How much of deity was in Jesus? 100%. So whatever makes the Father God and the Spirit God, 100% was in Jesus in bodily form. Full download into the Virgin Mary, 100%. 100% divine. Now watch Paul's connection. Just like in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. The fullness of God is in you. If that doesn't tie together our 20%, 100%, my friends, nothing else will. The scripture says you and I have been brought to fullness. I am not 20% saved today. I am not 80% saved today. I am not working on myself today. As much as deity was in Christ is as much as Christ is, is in me. Somebody put that on Facebook. Come on. I got a few more. Y'all still here? Y'all having a good time? This is the word, people. I, I'll speak this every day over my life before I'll believe what anybody else has said. 1 Peter chapter 22 through 23 says this, having purified your souls. What is your soul right now? Purified. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. That's why we can love each other now because we have a brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from what kind of a heart? A pure heart. What kind of heart do Christians have? A pure heart. Our souls have been purified. Our hearts have been purified. Since you have been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So the word has to abide in you. This is your fight of faith. This is my fight of faith. Do I believe it or do I believe my circumstances? 
Do I let the temptations of my flesh talk me out of it? Or do I believe what Christ has done in me? That is your fight of faith. And see, the Word of God must abide in you. You abide in Him. He abides in you. You're like a vine. Uh, he is the, the, the vine. You are the branch. You are abiding in Him. John 15, life is flowing. You are saved, fully saved, going to be ruling and reigning with Christ. Do you believe it or not? Second Peter chapter two, uh, Second Peter chapter one, verse four. Watch this. Through these, He has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. What kind of nature? divine nature. I was born in a naughty nature, wasn't I? A nature deserving of wrath, born again in the divine nature. I call this participation a dancing with the divine. So you can dance with the devil or you can dance with God. You can participate in the nature of the devil or participate in the divine nature of God. What does it say next? Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. What is the source of corruption in the world? What is it caused by? Evil desires from your flesh. The divine nature rescues you from it. Eject. You come out of it. You don't have to be a creature of instinct. You don't have to live by your flesh anymore. You can crucify your flesh, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Jesus. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. Tell your body, I'm serving Jesus. Amen? And this is the crescendo. This is it. You guys have been in a great uh, congregation to hear this today. I pray we all live it. And I pray this means more to us than just a Sunday service, okay? I pray the Word of God transforms our lives that will never be the same again. Look at Hebrews 10, 14. For, one, for by one offering. How many times did Jesus die on the cross? For by one offering, thank you. That's why we do not believe in the Mass. Listen, I, I love Catholics, but I don't love Catholicism. The Mass teaches, and you can ask a priest this if you don't believe me, transubstantiation is the literal shedding of blood and the breaking of Jesus' body every time they go to Mass. It's a continual sacrifice offered for the church. Jesus is not making continual sacrifices. You are not taking his body and blood in a literal way. Jesus died once, literally. Communion is a figurative example of what he did. How many offerings? One. That's why we believe that Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice, right? For by, and he's our one high priest. I don't need any other priest besides him, and therefore I am a priest with him when I communicate to him the priesthood of the believer. My priesthood is in his priesthood. For by one offering, he has what? Jacked up. Is that what it says? For by one offering, he has struggled. No, for one, by one offering, he has what? Perfected for how much time? All time. Those who are made what? Holy. Listen to it again. For by one offering he, Jesus, has perfected for all time those who are made holy. Salvation is the greatest claim of, uh, salvation by grace is the greatest, greatest claim of Christianity. I just want you to let that sink into your heart. I'm being so touched by God right now. I just want to start praying. But listen to this. Salvation by grace is the greatest claim of Christianity. It's our greatest claim. It's everything we stake our lives on. This is it. If you think this is too good to be true, listen to me, my friends. It's too good not to be true. If this is not true, our Jesus is a liar, and we're in a lot of trouble. But salvation by grace is true, isn't it? And it's our greatest claim. It's what wins the nations. It's why more Muslims are coming to Christ right now than ever before. It's why China right now is the fastest growing church. It's why people in India are accepting Jesus even after being beat and tortured by the extreme Hindus of their country. Because everything is based on this. I'm saved by what he did. When he said it was finished, that meant for me. And so today, if you miss this, if you miss God's grace, you miss heaven. And you miss everything that goes with it. But if you receive today by God's grace through faith, salvation, you will receive everything in the kingdom of God. Would you just close your eyes with me right now before we go? I don't want anybody to miss it. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? Thank you for your patience today. I don't want anybody to miss it. Let's just pray. Those of you who are saved, would you thank him right now in your own words? Jesus. I thank you, God, that you saved me. I thank you, God, that none of it depended upon me because I couldn't have done it, God. I couldn't even have got myself to 10%. God, gracias, Senor, for salvation by grace today. Lord, I pray that if anybody doesn't have that relationship with you, they start right now. 
They humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, and come to you, Jesus. If you haven't been born again, it will be the most easiest thing you'll ever do, but the most significant, life-changing thing you'll ever do. Salvation is as easy as receiving a gift, but it will transform your life in a way you could never do if you did self-improvement religion for a thousand years. I want you to hear it today. By God's grace, you can be saved, made a new creation. Who wants it today? Ask Jesus into your heart. Ask him to purify you, make you new. Those of us who have already been saved, would you just confess it again? Say, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. I believe I am who you said I am. I believe I can do what you said I can do. And now in closing, just as you're praying, I want to read a scripture from Jesus in Matthew 11, 28 through 30. It's in a modern translation, but I think you'll get the point here. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Because that's what works religion will do to you trying to build up those percentage points. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Jesus says, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. What's the difference between grace and works? Rest. I am resting in the finished work of Jesus. He says, I'll show you to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. He makes us his workmanship to do good works. He says, watch how I do it. His spirit will lead us and move us to keep all his laws, as Ezekiel said. Listen to how it says it in this modern translation, because I believe Jesus would speak it like this poetically. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Dance with the divine. Come out of your flesh and in to the Spirit. I won't. Listen to what Jesus promises. In, in the literal translation, my yoke is easy and my load is light and you shall find rest for your soul. But I love how it says it here as you're praying. Listen, he says, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. His commands will never be burdensome to you. His will for your life will never take joy from you. Even when you sacrifice, even if you suffer, you'll do it in the presence of the Lord with the fullness of joy. And he says, keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Can somebody just raise up their hands with me today and say, Jesus, I want to live free. I want to live free. Oh, you set me free to live free. What are you saved from today, friends? I know what I'm saved from. I'm saved from my stinking thinking. I'm saved from all the junk I've hid in my trunk. I'm saved from all broken relationships and the trail of destruction I've left in my personal life. I'm saved from all my own personal failures. I'm saved today from all my false religion and hypocrisy. I'm saved by grace. What are you saved from? What are you free today to do? Now start to say what you're saved from and what you're free to do. I'm free to be loving today to my enemies. I don't have to be bitter. I can be better. I don't have to keep grudges anymore. I can keep prayerless instead. I can pray for my enemies. Oh, I'm free to live pure, to be a dedicated husband and father. I'm free to have a good attitude on Monday morning in traffic. I am free. A few more moments. What are you saved from? And what are you free to do right now? What are you free to do in Christ? You're free to have a blessed marriage and a new start at it right now. You're free. I was a born-again virgin at 18. You're free to start over in your sexuality. We have people in this church, you wouldn't even recognize them, but they've come from cross-dressing. They've come from gay and lesbian backgrounds. You're free to start over in your sexuality. You're free to start over in your life right now. 
That's what it means, a new life. 30 more seconds. I'm praying with you right now. I'm helping you to pray. Let's pray together, saints. Let's pray together. Let's pray that we're saved and that we live how God wants us to live. For we are His handiwork. We are His masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Can I pray wisdom right now before we go? Some of you don't know what to do, but I feel the Lord telling you today, I've prepared a way for you. I double-dog dare somebody to raise up their hands and say, Lord, show me your path of righteousness. I'll pray for you right now, brother or sister. God, show them your path of righteousness through whatever turmoil, through whatever decisions they need to make right now. Oh, Lord, light the path for them right now. Guide them. Guide them. May they not lean on their own understanding, but in all their ways acknowledge you. Straighten their paths today, O oh God. Wisdom, wisdom, oh God. Woo! Jesus, Jesus. No one like you, God. No one like you. No one could do this but you. If you're ready to go by the grace of God, let's just say this closing prayer together. I am saved by grace through faith as the masterpiece of God to do good works. If you believe it, would you give it up as you say amen? Come on, let's praise him now. Woo, come on. Would you slap your neighbor high five and say live by grace? Would you stand up and give somebody a hug? God bless you on your way out today. If you need prayer, come on up. We would love to pray for you. Otherwise, we're going to worship together and see you at Life Groups. Go in the grace and peace of God. Yeah. I make you, yes, I've been set free. The power of hell is broken over me. Sing your love. Your love is true, yes, Lord. Love is free. If you would like prayer, come on up now. We would love to pray for you. Otherwise, just worship. This is the after party. We're going to go after Jesus. Love has ransomed me. Can you just sing that a few times, brother, before we go? Love has ransomed me. By the love and the mercy of God, I've been ransomed. Love is ransomed me. So you are, so you are. Love is ransomed me. Oh, love has ransomed Because how deep, how wide is your love for me? Come on, that's it. How deep, how deep. Is your love for me? How deep, how deep, how wide? How wide is your love for me? How deep, how wide is your love? Is your love for me? How deep, how deep, how wide is your love for me? How deep, how deep, how wide is your love? keep praying and worshiping. I'm just going to dismiss the band, but before we do, I want us to remember what I shared about my son Lucas. That when he sins, he doesn't become less of my son. No, he grows and he learns. 
when we become born-again Christians, whether we do everything right or nothing right, that does not make us more or less Christian or more or less a child of God. He has perfected for all times those who are made holy. But what is the way in and the way out? It is faith and it is unbelief. So do I believe I can step out of the perfection of God and go back to living by my sinful nature? Yes, I do. But I no more want to do that than I want to right now go jump into a pigsty or to put on a math problem, 2 plus 2 equals 5. I know that's folly. And so what I, what I believe is what God wants you to do is to have a holy confidence that you're God's child. And so if you sin, it doesn't throw you off into condemnation. You know you're God's child. But with the heart of knowing you're God's child, you don't believe lies and errors. You live by faith a life that is what God intended, a, a holy life. I hope that is something we can end with today because I even know I sometimes get condemned. I should know better. Oh, I don't feel so good as a Christian right now. But God reminds me, Joe, my love for you has not changed. I love you today after 22 years the same that I did after one, one day, one moment. So, Lord, let us always be reminded that it's never of us. It's never because of us. It's always on you. But that, Lord, you want us to participate by believing. You don't force it. You give us the choice. And so we choose you today. Rachel, would you just sing that out? I choose you today, just in your own words. I choose you, I choose you. Yes, as we get ready to go, keep praying. Those who are praying, don't be in a hurry. But if you can, just sing it out. I choose you, Jesus. It's my choice. You gave it to me, but I lovingly choose you. I willingly choose you. Just a few more times. I choose you. I choose you. One more time. I choose you, Jesus. I choose you. I choose you. I choose you, I choose you. Amen. As we get ready to put on the music here, we'll dismiss the band. Lord, I pray that we always choose you. Let us live free from condemnation, but in your presence, please you in all we do. In Jesus' name. And everybody in the after party said, amen, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. We're going to hang out, continue to pray, or just fellowship.